All right, guys. I know everybody is feeling energetic. Day three of the retreat, you start to go, man, when, what day? Has anybody here forgotten their name yet? Okay, we're doing good then, right? Okay, so I'm just going to say at the outset here, um, push that down just yet. Um, Thanks, guys, for sticking with me and focusing in and working with me this last time. And thank you um, more than anything for just the opportunity to come and be with you guys. Um, Back in 20, I was, we were looking back at some of our, the staff, at some of the pictures I have of like Ames Salt Fall Retreats. I pulled up the first salt conference. Um, There's a salt company in Iowa City in Cedar Falls and in Ames at that point, three of them. And to be able to drive out here just across the Midwest, and I went through multiple college towns where there now is a salt company, and you guys are part of that, that God's doing. You, God works through you. And um, to see that, you need to you know, take some pride in that. Say thank you, God, for the opportunity. And so thanks for all that you guys do on your campuses with your friends that are part of sharing the good news of Jesus and seeing God continue to do his work. Big thank you, too. Make sure you say a big thank you to the, the staff, to the rest of the team. So give those guys a hug as you head out and say thanks for all the work that you did. Even, I got to be honest with you, I've been in a bunch of salt retreats. The snack game coming in here is better than any other place. Okay, I'm just saying that. I've never been to one where before the dance, you know, they're handing out coffee and Red Bull. I thought, you know what, this is, this is next level. This is the sort of thing that, you know, happens with the gospel movement. And so, it, guys, you're doing great. It, it's a great thing to see. So give them a hug and also give your faithful tech volunteers and musicians a hug too and a hand. Seriously. You, you, it takes a lot of work for them. It, like before the dance, you guys don't know, like Eric... And Brandon, that's right, Brandon, yeah. Uh, They were back here like running back and forth trying to get the subwoofers going. And we're thinking we're going to have a dance with only these speakers on the top, no subs, which I'm not sure if you've ever, you know, look, they they don't have clubs in America with no subwoofers, okay, (laughs) for reasons. And so them working to get that, all of those little pieces that come together, it's huge. So Jonah chapter 4, this is where I want you to turn. And I want you to consider this question. Before this weekend, if somebody asks you, what's the message of the book of Jonah? A lot of you'd be like, I've never heard of it. Some of you would be like, well, okay, there's this dude. He rebels and runs away from God and is thrown into the sea. Jonah chapter 1, by way of review, right? And then God sends this big fish, saves him, and Jonah rejoices. He's puked back up in Nineveh. That's chapter 2, the rebellious prophet saved by the grace of God. But then chapter 3, Jonah preaches, and Nineveh repents. This rebellious city also saved by the grace of God, and they all lived happily ever after. The end. In fact, I went back through in my house, my wife and I, we have three children, they're older now, but we have all these kids' Bibles. I went through all the little kids' Bibles, and every one of those kids' Bibles stops at chapter 3 of Jonah. Every one of them. There's another chapter in the book, and I'm going to clue you into something. We're going to work and become Hebrew narrative experts a little bit today. The way Hebrew narrative works, the point of the book is most often at the end of the book. 
And then what it does is when you read Hebrew narrative, you read the end of the book, the point at the end, and it reshapes the way you see everything before it. It recolors it. That's exactly what Jonah does. The point of the book of Jonah is in the one chapter that every children's Bible in the universe does not cover. It's Jonah chapter 4. And really the question is, of Jonah 4 is, how is Jonah going to react to the incredible, infuriating love of God shown to Nineveh? Will the love of God that he pours out on Nineveh burn Jonah, like anger him, or will it break Jonah, which shatter his heart with love for them? How will God deal with the rebellious prophet Jonah, the rebellious people Nineveh, and ultimately bring to this climax his salvation of these wicked people? So those are the two big themes we're going to see in the text. We're going to see two big themes. Here you go. It's this, if you're taking notes, I'm giving you, I always give you the outline. You, have you picked up on this pattern? Okay, so uh, you, the roadmap here is two, two points. I figure not five points, it needs to be two. We're in the morning, we're hanging on, guys, okay? <laughs> Point number one, Jonah's anger compared with God's grace. That's what we're going to look at first, and we'll spend the vast majority of our time right on that point. Point two is going to be an illustration of a plant that God uses to show his heart for lost people. Jonah's anger and God's grace and God's heart for lost people. All right, Jonah chapter 4. I want to read the whole thing for you, and then we're going to unpack it. We have just seen God relent from the evil he planned, the destruction he planned for Nineveh, and forgive them. And now, how will Jonah react? Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? This is why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. The Lord asks, is it, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city found a place to the east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord appointed a plant. It grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head, to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. And when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. And as the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat on Jonah's head so much he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow it. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between the right and the left, as well as many animals? That's how the book ends. Jonah's anger and God's grace. Here's the first thing. I want you to look at the first verses again. Jonah was greatly displeased with the Lord and became furious. That is 
you can't capture it. In Hebrew, it reads this way. This was evil to Jonah, a great evil, and it burned him. He is not just a little mad. He, have you ever been so mad you just can't even contain it? You're just stomping or you can't get words out. You're like an animal. Jonah is exploding, furious, mad at God. Because Jonah was thrilled to deliver a message of Nineveh's destruction. Forty days in Nineveh was destroyed was good news for Jonah. They were his enemies. Jonah hated them. Let them all burn. That's what he thought. So when God chose to give Nineveh grace, Jonah was furious. And I want you to know this. God relented in his anger toward Nineveh, but what replaces God's anger to Nineveh is Jonah's anger at God. Jonah isn't angry at Nineveh anymore. He's furious about God. And did you notice what he said at the beginning of chapter 4? He reveals the heart motivation for why he ran away. He wasn't scared of the suicide mission. He wasn't intimidated by the king of Nineveh. Why He wasn't nervous, right, about public speaking. Why did Jonah run away? Look at verse 2. This is incredible. I knew that you were gracious and compassionate. Jonah is furious at God's grace. How dare you be so loving, God? Ugh. I knew you were like that. You always let people off the hook, God. You just love to show people mercy. Jonah is furious because God is gracious. And so he concludes his raging by saying this, if you won't kill them, then why don't you just kill me? I'm angry enough to die. When God showed grace to Jonah, remember, when he was saved, death to life, what did Jonah do? He erupted in the belly of the fish into a worship service. And when God shows grace to Nineveh, what does Jonah do? He doesn't write a song of praise, but a suicide note. He says, God, it's time for it to be over for me. I don't want your grace to rule me or them. And he feels justified to rage. Remember what we said about Nineveh. The Assyrian people, the Ninevites, are violent, bloodthirsty people. They're not just violent, they're morally bankrupt. Nineveh is sin city of the ancient world. It's Vegas plus something. They weren't just violent and morally bankrupt, okay, they were the enemies of Jonah's people standing on the doorstep of Jonah's nation, threatening to kill everything Jonah loved. Why would God possibly forgive someone like that? Let me make it a modern day equivalent. I'm going to read you a quote from Pastor R.W. Glenn. He writes this, and I want you to think about this. Could you picture God pardoning a Ku Klux Klan member? How about a skinhead or a pedophile? A sexual predator, pardoned by the grace of God. A drug dealer. How about a corporate fat cat who just steals from the poor to make himself rich? Could God pardon a militant Islamic radical? What about a cannibalistic serial killer? A genocidal dictator? Can you imagine people like that not being punished for their sins? It seems so wrong, right? You want to say, God, what are you thinking? So before we're quick to judge Jonah for hating God for his grace, just realize 
you probably would have felt the same way if you were in his shoes. One commentator on this writes, Jonah can't stomach God cheapening his mercy by offering it to them. All of us have a them in our minds. Where there's us and there's them. And I know God can do anything, but not go to them. Not them. Jonah is furious at the recklessness of God's grace. How dare you just throw it all around? We can say, Jonah, you're being childish, throwing a hissy fit, but what Jonah's showing is a default attitude that nearly everyone in the world has. It goes like this. Bad people get bad things, and good people get good things. It's the law of karma, the law of working for it, the law of wages. I want to just finger, stays in Jonah, flip forward a couple books to the book of Matthew. In the New Testament, Matthew chapter 20, Jesus told a story that illustrates this perfectly. Matthew 20, here's the story Jesus tells. It's a parable of a vineyard owner. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. Matthew 20, verse 1 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius, he sent them into the vineyard for the day. He went about, out about 9 in the morning, and he saw some others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. Verse 4, he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I'll give you whatever's right. So off they went. About noon and then again at 3 he went out and did the same thing. Then about 5 he went out and found others standing around said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Well, because no one hired us, they said to him. You also go into my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told the foreman, call all the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired, about five came, they each received one denarius. So the first ones came, and they assumed they would get more, but they also received a denarius. When they received it, they complained to the landowner, these last men put in one hour of work. You made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day's heat and the burning heat. He replied to them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. I want you to notice this is the verse I want you to see. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what is mine? Or are you jealous because I'm generous? That's Jonah. He is jealous because God is generous. God, you have no business giving this to those people. The workers, what are they saying? You owe us something, God, right? What are the workers missing and what is Jonah missing? The workers are missing this simple reality. He didn't have to hire them in the first place. None of the workers were owed a job. It was sheer grace they had the opportunity to get something. The generosity of the landowner is the only reason they have any pay. What is Jonah forgetting? He's forgetting the belly of the fish. Jonah, you're alive because of the grace of God. You, you were a reckless, rebellious prophet running away from God. You deserve the wages of sin that is death. Jonah, 
the very gift of grace that made you alive that you get, you want to throw a worship service over, but when somebody else gets it, you are angry enough to die. There we have that. Jonah is infuriated at the grace of God to them because he had forgotten he was alive because of the grace of God to him. That is the core message of the book of Jonah. If God wouldn't destroy Nineveh, he is ready and willing to extend mercy to anyone. And the question will be, break us. Burn you or break you. Anger you or soften your heart into worship. Whether it burns or breaks you will have a lot to do with how you see yourself and how you see the world around you. Let me try to explain this. Jonah sees the world predominantly horizontally. There's us, Israelites, and them, Ninevites. There's people like me who are good and people like them who are bad. We all tend to do that, right? There's us and there's them. There's people like my family, my crew, my socioeconomic status, my moral standing. There's people like me, my political party, people who are part of my club. There's us, and then there's them, the them over there. You know, the opposite, the people we're kind of battling, the people who are negative in the world. We, there's us and there's them. There's Nineveh, right, them, and there's the Jewish people, us. That's the way Jonah sees the world. It's horizontal. Comparison. The way God sees the world is vertical. You know what that looks like? There's all of us and him. The distance between Jonah and Nineveh in comparison to the holiness of God is minute. It's nothing. It's unrecognizable. Because the gap between God and every person who's ever lived is infinite because his holiness is infinite. And for some of you, like Jonah, that kind of burns you a little bit. You say, I've worked my whole life and I'm no better off than a genocidal maniac before God. How can that possibly be? I mean, I've been doing something. Like, I'm a good guy. That should count for something, right? And so you assume that there's just like a little bit of God's love that you've kind of earned. I mean, maybe I didn't earn my whole salvation, but at least 2% of it is mine. And that guy, I, that, that 2%, at least I'm a little better than that guy, us and them. Friends, we have to remember this morning again who we are. You don't deserve grace because deserving is the opposite of grace. Deserving is what you do when you work for something. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. It's undeserved favor. By definition, you can't deserve grace because it is undeserved. There's not a person in the world deserving of God's grace. Not Jonah, not, Jonah, not Nineveh, not you, not me. Your morality, your religious performance get you no closer to heaven no closer to the grace of God than an Assyrian soldier or a radical homosexual activist or a suicide bomber. And for some of you, deep inside, you're like, again, Mark, it's a little too far. I could get that I'm not as, you know, I, you just take, you're pressing this too far. I'm, be I'm better than that. I'm a good kid. Guys, good kids go to hell. Do you not understand that? Good kids go to hell because bad you don't get into heaven because of your goodness or bad. You get into heaven because of the righteousness and perfection of Jesus offered to you. 
forgiven sinners go to heaven, not good kids. God doesn't owe anyone grace. And that might burn you a little bit. But if it doesn't burn you, it'll break you. It'll break your heart. It'll humble you to the core. See, Jonah's teaching us a lesson in what we deserve. Like Jonah, we actually deserve to drown in our sins. Like Nineveh, we deserve a proclamation to be read. A little while and you'll be destroyed for your sin. Because the wages of our sin, whether you are Jonah or Nineveh or you, is death. Separation from your creator. But there's this God who is rich in mercy, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he has sent Jesus, his son, the true and the greater Jonah, to come actually leave his home country to go to a foreign land to preach a message of hope, grace, and love to you. Realize it. Think about the comparisons here. Jonah ran from the will of God. Jesus perfectly obeyed the will of God always. He's true and greater than Jonah. Jonah experienced the wrath of God in a storm, but his life was saved. But in Jesus' case, he experienced the wrath of God on the cross, and his life was ended, lost. He was cast out into the storm by his father and abandoned there so you could be brought in. Like Jonah, preserved three days in the belly of a fish, Jesus lay dead in the earth for three days, but rose victorious from the grave. He conquers sin and death. So how can God show mercy to people who only deserve his wrath? Because Jesus, a true and greater Jonah, took the wrath of God for you on the cross so he could only have a heart of mercy now. Look, someone greater than Jonah has come to you and preached. It's not me. <laughs> it's Jesus, the true and the greater Jonah, who has left the very halls of heaven to come to earth to preach this message of good news for sinners. So that if you'll turn like Nineveh, God will forgive you and welcome you home. If you see that, you're just like Jonah. You're just like Nineveh. The grace of God will break your heart. The love of God will melt away the comparison to the world around you. And when God breaks your heart, here's what will happen. There will be no way to see the world like us and them anymore. Here's what you'll see. That person there is a sinner just like me. In need of the grace of God, just like me. Hopeless without Jesus, just like me. There's no more us in them. There's all of us in him. And you'll go to the people around you, not with the hostile judgment of a superior person, but with the kindness of a beggar going to another beggar saying, I know where to find bread. That's all we are. No us and them. Just God and all of us. If the love of God breaks your heart, it'll make you explode in worship and in love toward them. And I want you to see that that heart will become a reflection of God's heart. That's the last thing we're going to see here. Remember, God's heart for Nineveh. Second point. We, there was this story, right? Where Jonah kind of storms away. Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Yes. And he walks away. And then there's a plant. Right? 
I don't know what sort of plant it is, but Jonah really likes it. And he sits down next to it, and honestly, he's looking back over Nineveh, and here's what he's thinking in his head. Maybe, just maybe, these people are going to burn. I want to see Nineveh fireworks. He's trying to watch their destruction, hoping against hope that maybe God is going to go back on it. He's going to kill them. His time goes on. The sun is coming up. He's starting to boil with anger and get furious. But then up comes this beautiful plant that covers him, that God appoints. Jonah loves it. He names it Planty. You know, he pets it. I don't. That's not like in the text, but I imagine that's what he would do because that's what a normal person would do with a plant when it's really hot out. They would name it and pet it and stuff like that. It's totally normal. <laughs> so he's like sitting out there with this plant, loving it. Like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. This plant right here, covered in fish puke, not recognizing the irony of all of this, right? And so God lets a worm come and kill the plant. Look at verse 9, how Jonah reacts to that. Jonah asks God, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? The plant, Jonah. The basil, Jonah. Yeah, it's right. I'm angry enough to die. Have you ever lost a plant before, God? Do you know the soul-crushing weight of having a large herb perish? <laughs> the plan is a picture. Verse 10, what's God doing? He's teaching Jonah. Jonah, you cared about the plant, Jonah. You didn't labor over it. It appeared in a night and perished in a day. Verse 11, I love the question. Hey, Jonah, can I not care about the great city of Nineveh? Like, I, like God needs Jonah's permission? Is it okay, Jonah, for me to love them? Or should I just only love large herb plants? Jonah, what's God telling us? Jonah loves the plant but wants to destroy the people. Jonah loves the plant but God loves the people. Should I not love the great city of Nineveh? Shouldn't I care more about people than plants? Jonah, why does Jonah so obsessed about the plant? Because really, Jonah loves Jonah but God loves Nineveh. And Jonah. Note again how different God's heart is from Jonah's. Jonah loves the plant because it comforts him personally. It makes his life easier. But God loves people who don't do anything right for him. The rebellious Ninevites don't make God's life easier, more beautiful. There's nothing they have to offer, and God offers them everything in love. The grace of God is not just boundless. It's available to everyone, not just to us, but to them. And what God is trying to say to Jonah and trying to say to us, he's trying to take Jonah right to the edge and show him the city of Nineveh and say, look at them, Jonah. I love them. Look, Jonah. And Jonah is kicking and screaming, saying, the only thing I want to do looking at them is watch them burn. No, no, no. Here's the thing. If your heart is broken by grace, it will be broken toward people. That's the point. If your heart is really broken by grace, it's not the plant that matters anymore. It's not your comfort. It's not what benefits you. You're not looking simply to that. You're starting to see with the eyes of a creator God who sees that person who's far from him and thinks, oh, I love them. You will look at Nineveh differently if you learn to look at God differently because you look at yourself differently. 
You'll look at people who are far from God differently if you realize I would be sinking down dead in my sin unless the grace of God saved me. I'm a recipient not of what I deserve, but what God has given in grace. Guys, we live in the middle of a time of judgment and condemnation in this world. Holy moly. I feel sorry for your generation being taught by nearly everything you read and everything you see that people who think different than you and act different than you are objects to be hated and fought instead of sinners in need of the grace of God just like you. So here's what I'm praying Jonah would do for you. I'm praying that it would break your heart in two ways. First, I'm praying that this whole book of Jonah would break your heart so that you see yourself as the person you know in the world who is most desperately in need of the grace of God. That it'd humble you. That's the problem with Jonah. Jonah thought God owed him a little something. And for some of us, maybe that's the way we go about our Christian life. It's the way we go about walking with Jesus. We just kind of have this a sense that we're entitled to anything, but we're not entitled to the love of God. We never have been. We never will be. I want you to begin to have a sense again, remembering what it's like to be very far from Jesus and knowing you don't have any hope apart from him. I want to live every day that way so that every breath is a gift that's not deserved. Every kindness is a gift that's not deserved. I don't want to live a life with entitlement and expectation. I want to live a life fueled by grace. So I'm praying that the love of God would invade your heart and would make you just want to worship. Not, not just sing songs, but just live a life where it feels like every step you take, you go, wow, I wouldn't deserve that. You walk outside on a beautiful day and think this sings of the creator's beauty that I never deserve to see. Once you see the grace of God for you like that, it'll break your heart. But it won't just break your heart to love God. Here's what it'll do secondly. This is my prayer. It'll break your heart to love the people around you. That person in class who just drives you crazy. Who are they? They're Nineveh. They're the place that's hard for you to go and hard for you to see and hard for you to believe could be beautiful. Don't ever forget that once you were that way for God right? Go as the person you are now to the person you once were with the best news in all the world. Let the incredible love of God not burn you with anger like it did Jonah, but break you with compassion for people just like you for whom the grace of God needs to come to them. Let's pray that God would use this book to make that real in all of us, all right? So, Father, I do, again, that you've given us. It's been a, even just a gift of grace for us to be able to be together for these couple days in a beautiful place with wonderful friends, uh, forming lifetimes of memories. And, God, I pray that in some way for our lifetime, the book of Jonah would make a little dent that would last forever into the hard exterior of our heart. God, I pray that this room would become a room that has 
freshly amazed at grace. That all of us would actually have the chance to step back in this weekend and think, I'm just like a rebellious prophet Jonah or just like this rebellious city of Nineveh. I don't deserve the grace of God. Who am I that you should love me? And yet we find ourselves strangely loved, amazed by mercy, caught up again in grace. It's so easy to get dull and cold to the things that are most important in the whole universe. And so God, I pray that you would do a fresh work in all of our hearts, that we'd be just caught up again with a sense as we leave this place that we're loved by the Father. And because of that, God, we just open our hands and say, God, here I am. Would you send me to them? I'd go. I'd love those people who are just like me. I'd see them the way you see them. God, break our hearts with the good news, the beauty of your grace. We pray in the name of Jesus.